0: Hey SIA family, thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this message encourages you and blesses your life. Well, before you hear this powerful teaching, I wanna encourage you to share this message with someone who needs to hear the gospel. You never know what this message can do to the life of that person. Also, we want you to know that wherever you're watching us from, you can still impact the lives of others through your giving. It is through your generosity that we can keep pushing the kingdom of God forward in our city and all over the world giving is safe and simple you can go to our app or you can go to our website cfmiami.org give well god bless you and i hope you enjoy this message come on give the lord a shout of praise Hey, it is a wonderful day to sing praises to god and study his word can i get an amen to that hey amen come on give a shout of praise Hey, well welcome everyone. Great, great, great to see you. It's great to hear you sing to our amazing God. My name is Omar and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as a lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. And if you're joining us today online or maybe at one of our campuses, Doral, Coral Gables, West Kendall, Redland, Palmetto Bay, thank you so much for being here. Let's encourage our first time (laughs) guests today, yeah. It's a great time to join us because we are on our fourth week of a series called Skeptics Welcome. We have been asking those questions and answering those, those questions that many skeptics have of the Christian faith, but if we can be honest with ourselves, many of us also have those questions. And today, we're going to be answering the question, does God speak to us? Does God communicate to us? And if he does, how does he do it? We're gonna find out today from God's Word. And so if you have Bibles at all campuses, let's, get, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, and also Hebrews chapter 1. By the way, today we're gonna to be learning a lot, so it's gonna be a more, it's gonna feel more like a teaching than a preaching, but I think we're gonna learn a lot and be encouraged. You guys ready? Yes. All right, so listen to what God's Word says in Genesis chapter 1. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And God what? Say. Yeah, And God said, he spoke to them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then in Hebrews chapter one, it says this, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God what, church? Spoke. Yeah, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has what? Yeah, he has spoken to us by his son. In other words, our heavenly father speaks to us, his people. Amen? That is God's word. You can go and take a seat, everybody, at all campuses. And let me start off by sharing this with you. Many of you may not know this, but before I went to seminary, I actually went to the University of Miami's School of Law. And i got to admit, there were some classes in law school that were interesting and some classes that were pretty boring. But the class that always piqued my interest had to be constitutional law. Because every time that we got together in class, we were all focused and it was all devoted to examining this one specific document. Now follow me here because the constitution of the united states of america is the most important document for every single american son and every single american daughter and here's why it's because it contains the will the thoughts and the desires of our founding fathers now, our founding fathers, when they started this country, they wanted to be sure that every American son, that every American daughter was not ambiguous as to their will and to their vision for this country. Quite the opposite. They wanted us to be crystal clear. Everyone say clear. clear. Yeah, they wanted us to be crystal clear about what their will was for this country. And so in 1789, they all got together, the founding fathers, and they put all of those thoughts all of those, all of those d- desires that they had, into actual words, and they put it into a document that we now know as the Constitution of the United States. And folks, do not miss this, because the concept, because our founding fathers wanted every American son and daughter right to be crystal clear about what their will was. So that as we as a country, as we go through the highs of of our country, right, and the lows of our country, we can always regather ourselves back into that place where we can hear the heart of our founding fathers. And folks, let me just bring all of that over to our teaching for today, because what a picture of what our Heavenly Father does with us, amen? Amen. And and by that I mean that just like our founding fathers, right, right, wanted us to be clear on their vision for this country, just like that. And here's the main idea as we open up God's word today. Our Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, wanted you to be clear as to what His will and His desire is for your life. And, folks, he put all those desires into words so that as we go, listen, as you go through the highs of your life and as you go through the lows of your life, listen, you can always come to a place where you can hear the words and the heart of your heavenly Father. Amen? It's sad to say, though, that there's so many people on this earth that go through life, and they don't realize that God wants to speak to them. And they go about life in darkness and devoid of God's will and desire for their life. And because of it, they go through a life of discouragement, and they go through a life of just being lost without direction. And who knows, maybe you're here right now at one of our campuses, maybe you're watching online, and you're thinking, Omar, oh, I kind of feel like that. And so where are the words, where are all the thoughts, the wills, the desires of our Heavenly Father? Because I want to know where that's located. We're going to find out today as we dive into God's Word. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 1. You can follow along in our listening guides as well as in our app. And today I have two powerful thoughts about how God communicates with us, His people. Are you all ready to go? All right, so write this down as point number one at all campuses. Here we go. Here's the first thing, and that is that God clearly communicates with words through the Bible. Now, let's go back to the passage for today. Listen to what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And God What? God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Now circle the word said, because the word said in the original Hebrew is exactly what you think it means. It means to speak with words. And it's interesting that after God creates his crowning achievement, which is humanity, he doesn't recede into the dark and never communicates with them or or he does communicate with them but in ambiguous ways no it says that he begins right off the bat he begins to communicate with us through words to the extent that scripture says that early on god used to come down in the cool of the day and walk with adam and eve and have conversations with them that was a communion that they had but folks here's what we, what we need to remember The moment that Adam and Eve sinned against God, and they rebelled against the Lord, and they took that fruit off of that tree, and sin came into the world. Listen, that communication, that fellowship, that communion was instantly broken. In fact, God's word says this in Isaiah. It says, your iniquities, your sins, have made a what? Separation. Yeah, a separation between you and your God. And, you know, we know this from real life, from practical, from day-to-day life. You know, for those of you who are married and you have an argument or a fight with your spouse, have you noticed that afterwards there's a moment of silence, right, between them, between both of you? You know, maybe some of you are sitting right now, and you're not talking to each other right now, right, because you just got into an argument. But, folks, if that's true in just regular relational relationships of life, Imagine when, when finite man sins against a holy and righteous God, that the separation, the brokenness that there is in a, with our relationship. And, folks, not only that, but Scripture tells us that because of our sin, we are destined to an eternity with that God in a place called hell. Folks, that's what Scripture teaches of the severity of humanity's sin before God. Folks, here's what I love. That the Lord, even though we had sinned against him, he was determined to save us from our sin. And so early on, after the fall, after sin, he begins to renew that communication to communicate to us how he's going to save us from our sin. And the way he communicates is in two major stages, which we call special revelation. And here's the first portion. Write this down, Letter A. And that is that God communicated progressively through the Old Testament. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 because it helps us understand these two stages of communication with us. It says, long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, folks, stop right there. Because what happens is that after mankind had sinned, and God begins to communicate his plan of redemption, he doesn't do it all at once. So in Genesis chapter 3, God doesn't reveal his plan of salvation, his redemption plan, right off the bat. But instead, he begins to little by little give aspects as as it goes on of how God will save humanity. In fact, the first promise was back in the book of Genesis chapter 3 that after they sinned, God looked at the serpent at Satan and said, "Listen, through the one who you deceived, through her seed, through her offspring, I will bring someone to save them from their sin and to crush the head of Satan." Amen. Amen. And folks, that was the first communication. But folks, the reason it's progressive is because as you go through every page in the Old Testament, listen, God progressively reveals how he's going to save humanity and so the Old Testament is almost like like driving through a foggy road now have you ever driven through a foggy road up north maybe in the mountains where as you're driving through a foggy road you see that there's something ahead but you cannot clearly see what it is but what happens as you're driving and you get closer what happens it becomes clear and clear and clear same thing with the old testament the closer that as, as they progressed as the old testament progressed humanity saw more clearly how god would save us, us from their sin in fact john calvin the great reformer he once said this he said at the beginning back in genesis when the first promise of salvation was given to adam right we just, i just mentioned it It glowed like a feeble spark. Then, as it was added to, the light grew in fullness, breaking forth increasingly and shedding its radiance more widely. And at last, when all the clouds were dispersed, when all the fog was dispersed, listen, Christ, the Son of Righteousness, fully illuminated the whole earth. Amen? And folks, the moment that Christ arrived, he, God, ushered the second stage of revelation to us. In fact, write this down as letter B. God then communicated fully and completely through Jesus Christ, which we call final revelation. Now, let's go back to the book of Hebrews to see it. It's long ago that at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his what? By his son. And so when Christ came, listen, he was the full and complete revelation of God to humanity. In other words, after Christ, there was nothing else that God needed to communicate to humanity because he did it fully and completely through his son, Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, the final truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And family, the reason that cults, listen carefully here, the reason that cults and heretical teachings emerge through time is because they come up when people uh, uh, say that they have a brand new revelation from God. In other words, they have new truth from God that he had now revealed. A good example is that of Joseph Smith. You know, Joseph Smith back in the 1800s, said that an angel appeared to him and supposedly out in the, in the woods, there were some hidden tablets hidden in the field. And folks, supposedly he went out to that field, he found those tablets, and those tablets co- that contained a new revelation turned out to be the Book of Mormons. And folks the, the folks, the Book of Mormons has led astray millions of people away from truth and away from a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and so listen carefully whenever you hear anybody say I have new truth for you I have new revelation for you listen carefully run yeah run away from that because listen that God, God already revealed everything he wanted to tell us through his son Jesus Christ and so if you ever hear yeah we can clip for that and so if you ever hear me or one of the pastors here say, hey, we got new truth for you. You know what you do? You open that door and you kick us out of here. That's exactly what you do. Because folks, pastors are called to teach you God's word. Listen, we may help you understand it better, we can illustrate, we can help you understand it, but we never add to God's word. There's no new revelation to be had. And and here's why some people do that. The first reason, I think it's, it's a sinister reason, is because people want to manipulate other people, and so they come up with new truth, new revelation to make them do whatever they want them to do. And there's other pastors and leaders who maybe get to a point where they think, man, they've heard the gospel already so many times. They've heard the same truth over and over. Let me just bring something fresh. Let me bring something new. And maybe they'll like it more. And that's where heretical teachings come about. Because listen, when you hear someone teach truth that has been taught before, good. Because we have been teaching the same word for 2,000 years. Amen? And so we need to protect because God already fully communicated through his world. His revelation is final and complete. In fact let me just give you a quick visual of how the bible is constructed because i think it'll help you understand how god reveals so like i said earlier right at the beginning of genesis there was a little spark where god gave a promise and as the, as the Old Testament was, be, was written and was revealed, there was progressive revelation of truth, truth, and more truth, until Christ came, and he was a final authority, the final revelation. And from, since, from that point on, listen, we have been blessed to have the complete and final revelation of God. And folks, listen, the entire Old Testament, you need to understand this. Yes, there's different narratives, there's psalms, there's different things in the Old Testament, but make no mistake about it. It's all pointing towards the cross, amen? So the entire Old Testament is all looking towards the cross. The entire New Testament now looks back and and looks at the work of Christ. Does that make sense? So everything is centered around Christ and the impact of his redemption at the cross. And folks, even the way people are saved has never changed. You know, some people are under the misconception that after Christ came, we're saved by faith and faith alone, which we are, but the Old Testament people were saved by just the law. Listen, it's always been by faith. The Old Testament saints were saved when they put their trust in the promise of the future Messiah, Amen. right? They, whatever knowledge they had, that's when they put their faith and that's what made them right before God. And then after the cross, the way we're saved is that we put our faith in the finished work of Christ and what a glorious thing he did for us when he died on that cross. Can we give a shout of praise to God for what he's done for us? But folks, the question is, the skeptical people still have, is this. Omar, I understand everything you're explaining. I understand that God's word is all about the cross. I get it. But how do you know that your Bible is truly God's Word? Doesn't there's a lot of religious books out there. How do you know out of the thousands of religious books that this is truly God's Word? Well, I'm glad you asked. In fact, write this down as big number two. Because God gives us evidence that His Word is true and reliable. Because God wants you When you read God's word, he wants you to have certainty that this is his word. And and not only that, but that not only is that it is inerrant, meaning free from errors, but it is infallible, incapable of errors. And so, folks, here is the first evidence that God gives you for you to be sure. Write this down as letter A. The first thing is that we have the early manuscripts, early manuscripts. Now, one of the big objections that people who are skeptical of the Christian faith uh, would would say is, is, is this, is how do you know that the Bible that you have in your hand has not been manipulated or changed or altered throughout the centuries by people and leaders? How do you know that the little Bible that you have in your hand when you go to work, right, how do you know that that Bible, someone may ask you, how do you know that that Bible was not changed? How do you know that that Bible was not altered throughout the years and it's not really the original Word of God? Well, in society, the way we authenticate, uh, uh, whether it's the accuracy of either a book or a work of literature, is based on the number of early manuscripts, copies of the early manuscripts. So, for example, let me just give you... A, a few examples of classical works the first one is that of Caesar. He wrote many books one of them was Gallic Wars And there are ten different manuscripts of that book We have Plato uh, who was a, a, a Greek philosopher. He wrote the, word, uh, the 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 works and there are seven different manuscripts of that of that work of literature Tacitus wrote the annals of history and there are about 20 different manuscripts and Homer, who wrote the Iliad, many of us read, read that in high school, there are 643 different manuscripts, early manuscripts. And folks, they are an act, the accuracy among each of those early manuscripts is about 90 to 95%. And folks, no one in society argues that the words, when you read Homer the Iliad, were the actual words of Homer, what he wrote. Why? We have so many early manuscripts. It has not been altered. Now, let me show you a little bit of what we have in the New Testament. Are you all ready? Yeah. Okay. So of the New Testament, we have 5,856 manuscripts. Of non-Greek manuscripts, Latin or meaning other languages, we have 20. We, I'm sorry, we have 18,130 manuscripts for a grand total of 23,986. And folks the accuracy level is ninety nine point five almost perfect which means yeah we can clap for that which means that if you were to lay all almost 24 thousand early copies of the of the New Testament they are virtually identically the same there might be a dot or a few things but they're so minute that there is no doubt that the New Testament that you have in your hand has not been altered because we have an abundance of evidence of early manuscripts. In fact, just so you know how much of abundance, so for example, for a common work of, 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 of literature, if you were to stack the early manuscripts, it would be about four feet high that you would stack them. You know how high you would stack all New Testament manuscripts? A mile high. Folks, that is the amount of evidence that the New Testament that we have has not been altered in any way, shape, or form. And then when we go to the Old Testament, we also have a lot of assurance. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls were a a tremendous discovery to further validate the accuracy of the Old Testament. See, back in 1947, there was uh, 20 miles east of Jerusalem, There was a young shepherd boy, a shepherd boy who wanted to look for some sheep. And so he got a rock and he threw inside of some caves, hoping to hear some sheep noises. What he heard was actually, listen carefully, the crackling of clay pots. And to make a long story short, when they went into all these caves, they found hundreds of clay pots untouched with um, papyrus and leather scrolls of the Old Testament. And you know what they found? That the Old Testament found in those pots, which by the way were written between 250 to 150 BC, were exactly the same as the Old Testament that you have in your Bible. Meaning what? That the disciples, after Christ came, did not go back and change the Old Testament to fit Christ. No, this is proof that even before Christ existed, the Old Testament had been settled, the Jewish people agree, and even the Dead Sea Scrolls agree that everything in the Old Testament was was accurate. Amen? So Omar, what's your point? Listen, my point is very clear. That the words inside your Bible have not been altered. They are exactly the same words that God gave us at the beginning. Now, keep in mind, we do not have the original manuscripts, like like the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman Church. Like we don't have that actual document, because through time they they were either lost, destroyed, or um, they were just um, disintegrated to time through time. So the question is, why wouldn't God preserve those original manuscripts, the actual original letters? Well, my gut is that God knew how idolatrous our hearts are and if we still had the original manuscripts let me tell you something you know what so many people would do they would go to those manuscripts they would bow down to those manuscripts they would kiss those manuscripts they would pray to those manuscripts they would dedicate their children to those manuscripts is not that right and so god in his infinite wisdom gave his word made abundance of copies of manuscripts to confirm that that's his word and then he got rid of those early manuscripts to protect us from our sinful self amen and so, first of all, we, the first evidence are the manuscripts that we have on, uh, on hand. The second one, write this down, letter B, is the internal consistency of the Bible. Now, the Bible is not just one book, the Bible is actually 66 different book, books written by 40 different authors through a span of 1,500 years. And they were written by many different people from shepherds to kings to servants to scribes to prophets all these different people who never knew each other, who had no connection with each other, who lived in different places. And here is what's amazing about the Bible even though it's written over 1500 years by 40 different people, listen carefully, there are no contradictions, and the story of redemption is perfect. In fact, the, the opponents of Christianity may say, well, there's little minor contradictions, but when you look at it, they're so insignificant and so simple that they can easily be resolved. The reality is that God's word all through all those 1,500 years is perfect without contradiction. And not only that, but the Bible is also the only book in this world that has, that, that has the most amount of um, cross-references. In fact, it has 63,000. 779 cross-references. See, this right here is a kind of visual. The bottom is all the different books of the Bible, and all these little lines are 63,000 little cross-references that go back and forth throughout Scripture. And so what that's showing us, it's almost like a, the Bible, it's almost like a cord with 63,000 different strands. It cannot be broken. It is so closely t- not, uh, knitted together. And so you may be wondering, Omar, how can that be? How can the Bible through 1,500 years, through 40 different people, be, never contradict itself, be perfectly in sync, have so many cross-references? Cross how could that be? Well, the answer is there's not 40 different authors. There's one author, Amen. And that author is God himself. Amen. So much so that God says in, his, in 2 Timothy, all, not some, not most, but all scripture is breathed out by God. Amen. The word there breathed in the original Greek text is theoponoustos, which means, theo means God, and ponoustos means breathed out. And so what we see is that as God let all these different people, to write his word. They were so carried by the Holy Spirit that it was almost like God was breathing through them the words that they were writing to the point that Peter even says that as they were writing the prophecies of Christ, they sometimes didn't even know what they were writing. They knew they were not serving themselves, but they were serving us as they wrote whatever God led them to write on those pages. Amen? Amen. And so what we see here, listen, is that God's word is evident. It's a special book that is breathed out by God himself. And not only do we have the internal consistency, but listen, write this down, setter C, here's the third evidence. The third evidence is fulfilled prophecy. Now, listen to what Peter said about the importance of prophecy, and i gotta, I got to admit, it's one of my favorite things Peter wrote. Listen to what he said. Is that for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard, we heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And then listen to what he says next. And we have something more sure. Everyone say more sure. sure. Everyone say more sure. sure. Yeah, we have something more sure. Here it is, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention uh, as a lamp shining in a dark place, unto the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And, folks, here's what I absolutely love what Peter is saying here. He's saying, listen, I walk with the Lord. i i I spoke with him i ate with the lord and i was on that mountain and i heard the words the words from our heavenly father but he says but there is something even more sure and what i am more sure is the prophetic word of god the prophecies of christ what he elevates notice carefully what he elevates above his own experience is the prophecies in god's word and folks Prophecy is so important because prophecy is what differentiates the true God from all the false gods, the true word of God from all the false religious wo- uh, books. In fact, if you look at the Quran or you look at the, the Hindu Vedas, listen, there is absolutely no emphasis on prophecy. In fact, the Bible, on the other hand, it's all about prophecy, some suggest that about 27 percent of the bible is predictive in nature that means that more than a quarter of god's word is all about prophecy there's an estimated about 1817 different prophecies throughout god's word the vast majority have already been fulfilled and the remaining are, are, are we're waiting on the second coming of christ for the rest to be fulfilled amen And even when you look at the prophecies of Christ, of his actual, who he would be, there are about 365 different prophecies. And Christ fulfilled each of of them to the very T. In fact, there was a study by this man, Peter Stoner, who said that that the odds of a person fulfilling not 365, but just eight of those prophecies is one in a hundred quadrillion chances. It's virtually impossible. Christ fulfills not eight, but 365, so that you can be sure that he is the promised Christ that came to save the world. Amen? Yeah. And folks, there's one more evidence that I want to share with you. In fact, write this down it's stutter D. And that is the life-changing power of God's word. You know, there's something about God's word that it alone has the power to transform your life. It has, there's something special about this book that it has the ability to change our lives forever like nothing in this world can. In fact, God's word says that it's so powerful that it's living and active. In fact, Hebrews says this, for the word of God is living and active sharper than than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of your soul and your spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Listen, God's word has a way of encouraging us, has a way of convicting us, has a way of guiding us, has a way of leading us, has a way of illuminating us. Listen, God's word is so unique. Why? Because it is the living, active words of God for our soul. Yes. Amen? And this is why King David, who God used to write part of his word, when he stopped and reflected on, on the treasure of God's word, here's what he said in Psalms 19. He says, listen, when we need to be awakened where our souls are dim, he says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Listen, when we need wisdom, when you need wisdom for your family, when you need wisdom for your decisions, for your marriage, listen carefully, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. When we are feeling down and we are feeling discouraged, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Listen, when we need insight about something in life, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And folks, listen, when we are longing for truth, in an age where there's so misinformation, in a political season, right, where all you see is just so many different lives going every which way. Listen carefully. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, amen? And listen, because of it, this is what David said at the end. He said, more to be desired are they than gold. You know, David understood the infinite treasure that is of God's word. It led him, guided David through every day of his life, and he treasured the words of God. And you know that Kimyaw people from Indonesia is another group of people that although they had been saved by the gospel of Christ, at one point someone came to their little village and told them that there was a God who loves them. But that their sins separated them from god but god in his love and mercy sent his one and only son to die on the cross for their sins so that through their faith in christ they will be forgiven of their sins and have a relationship with god and that little group of people put their faith and their trust in god but you know what even though they were saved they still didn't have god's word god's full and complete word in their language And they longed for that treasure of God's word. Until one day, God showed grace upon them and gave them his word in their language. Take a look. You are not going to be able to get a job. You are going to be able to get a job. You are going to be able to get a job. You are going to be able to get a job. You are going to be able to get a job. You are going to be able to get a job. You are going to be able to get a job. You are going to be Wow. You know, I love that that young lady said at the end. She said, these older ladies now have God's word. And now they will pass it on to the next generation, to their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's children. And folks, isn't that our heart here at Christ Fellowship? Isn't that we would not only treasure God's word, but we would pass God's word to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation generation to the glory of God, amen? But you know, unfortunately, when we start really thinking about it, even though we have infinite treasure at our disposal, there may be some of us who do not read it as much as we should. In fact, we may have several copies tucked away in our nightstand, and we never bother barely to even pick it up and to read his word. And then we wonder why are we so discouraged? Why we wonder why we're having so many marriage struggles? Why are, we, why are you filled with anxiety? Why are you so depressed? Why are there so much fear in your life? Well, Listen, because we're not reading the Word of God. The Word of God transforms us. It encourages us. It builds us up, and it reveals to us God's will for our life. Amen? And, folks, my desire Christ Fellowship as our pastor is that when people think of Christ Fellowship, they think of people of the Word, people who love and treasure the Word of God. And so here's what I want to do. I want to leave i want to end today with a little challenge if you feel today that you have not been reading god's word as much as you should listen i want to challenge us for 15 days listen to read god's word for 15 minutes a day for the next 15 days read it for just 15 minutes you know whether it's in the morning or whether it's in, in the, at noon On the afternoon, but listen, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling discouraged, if maybe you are skeptic and you're feeling, I want to know more about God, listen carefully, listen, I'm glad that you're here with us, but if you want to know who God is, you got to read his word. you got to spend time in his word. And what I want to encourage you, maybe a good book for you to start for those 15 days is the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest gospel, 16 chapters, not very long, but I'm telling you, if you read for 15 minutes, for 15 days, Listen, God will do a work in your life that you will not believe. But we have to do it, amen? We have to make it a priority. In fact, if you scan right here, right behind me, you go to the website, there I've made a video for us that can help you with your quiet time, with your time with the Lord when you read God's word. There's also resources on how to interpret it and understand God's word, and even other resources from our very own pastors that will help you read God's word. But listen, what we cannot do is keep moving forward And be people who do not, are not immersed in God's word. Listen, there is a great reward. If you read his words, listen, seek him and you shall find him. Amen. And so let's be people who are devoted to knowing and treasuring God's word. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. My Lord God, we come today, oh Lord. Father, we are just so grateful that you have given to us, Lord, your truth, your word. Father, Peter said, to whom else shall we go? For you, O Lord, have the words of eternal life. Father, help us, O Lord, to be consistent, to prioritize, and to treasure the reading of your word. Because, Father, in your word, we find life. Thank you, Father, for the grace you've shown us. And thank you, Lord, for giving us your will and your heart, Lord. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say... Amen. Hey, let's give a shout of praise to our God. Amen. Hey, well, I'm going to call all the campus pastors to the front, and I want to encourage you to be back next week. Because next week, we're going to find out, we're going to find out the answer to the question of how do we know Christ is the only way? How can you know for sure? You got to be back to find out, all right? I love you all. Have a great, great weekend.